Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we discuss finding a purpose in life and soul-level connections with others, the Buddhist idea of the five aggregates, the harshness of a standard-issued life, direction arising from the ground of being, and the personalization of your own stages of development. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. That's it. You're in there. <laughs> hey, fellow jeans ears, those who like our spirituality with a twist. That was a bit of the surprise. Like, hey, <laughs> we just start. Like Go. the glass, the shot glass just came sliding down the bar, and you have to grab it. Otherwise, it's going to crash off the end, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so we're we're kind of wrapping up this whole relationship series we've been working on. I'm I wrote the notes for this over the weekend in kind of a, a little bit of inspiration. I'll try to explain a little bit about it. We're gonna call it like maybe the relationship denouement episodes, and that we had the culmination. And now we're kind of like going into the the stretch run of the plot. I had an episode. I had a, a, a an email from a listener who kind of said, "Hey, congrats on these episodes." Uh, and for her, she was talking about the culmination being episode being the one, not the last one, but the one before. But the whole idea that we were kind of heading to this culmination point. And she was like, "Hey, great culmination on the whole thing." Uh, and for me, it was these last two ones, you know, especially the last one we did, which is sort of the very personal part of my story with this. So, so we've done these culmination episodes. We kind of now are in like the, the end of the plot, right? The denouement. I have to say, Daniel, I had a funny experience with this too, because we were kind of talking about my my trio of Buddhist goddess advisors. Mm, oh yes. <laughs> and I got you I got unanimity among them. They 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 became unanimous in a funny way, because all of a sudden I realized, okay, I'm talking about this stuff, I'm being honest. And I had one reluctant Buddhist goddess. Mm, there's always yeah. one reluctant Buddhist goddess. It's really, you know. Well, I, I had to, I had to give a little, I had to give it a try, I had to give it the old Buddhist try. But she flipped on me a little bit. She was like, "Okay, fine," uh, to my way of feeling her. And the reason why it was pretty interesting, it was partially because she was like, "Okay, you're doing a good job. These things probably should be said." So she thought we're doing a good job. Okay, that's good. We can pat ourselves on the back that the the top Buddhist goddesses agree with us. But it really had to do with like, to my mind, not just presenting a criticism of other things but trying to present something more of like a positive worldview, mm. right? And maybe a positive worldview that, you know, leaves space for people who have like a, alternative ways of thinking. And that was positive rather than just going around and just like being critical of stuff. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I thought, okay, mm -hmm. that's cool. And that's honestly the vibe I got from her. So I was like, okay, good. You know, that is kind of the intention, right? And that's my intention of trying to do this last one here as kind of the culmination on it. Um, because I sort of felt like, yeah, let's try to get a positive vision of things, you know, rather than just ragging on other stuff, you know, and being critical of other things. I know. What do you think? I think it's true, right? But yeah, I think positive vision, right? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a nice way of, you know, we're always talking about trashing the culture or whatever, but mm -hmm. 
really it it is about i mean in order to to make room for something else you you have to kind of sometimes get rid of other things mm-hmm. so in this way we're kind of clearing the field as to the aspects that we don't like and then providing things that we would feel would be a good replacement so yeah yeah mm-hmm. you know I, I think i think that's a good that's a good way although i don't know that uh, i mean i haven't really heard this from our listeners in particular that say oh you guys bash this or you guys bash that exclusively yeah, we, tr- we try not much. to and i think that's the reason why she was okay with it yeah <laughs> like yeah. with this goddess she was more like okay you're presenting a positive view but we're you know but look we call balls and strikes right as best as we can and i'm always trying to be you know anthropologic in my view of how does even if something is you know as we talked about before, you know a couple episodes ago even if something is negative or seeming to be negative like well it's 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 endured so if it's here, what are the positives that are coming out of it? Even if it seems to be mainly restrictive, like it's here. I mean, why is it still here? Or the fact that people are reframing it in ways that might be more positive for the now, even sure. from places that were more, you know, we can't even say exclusiveness in the way we've been doing it because we've been presenting that just as a different orientation. Yeah. Things that might be more specifically claimed as like you might claim as more being negative. Yeah. Especially for women. So but anyways, I think the idea was like to you know, try to present kind of a spiritual, a spiritual vision, and the questions now seem to be spiritual ones. So I thought, well, let's go through and maybe take a peek at this, see what the underlying maybe spiritual worldview that might inform this. Mm-hmm. And in doing this, I thought I'd share a story as we tried to do. So this is a story going back. I can't remember how much we talked about this afterwards, but it was back in 2018-ish, like you know, pre-pandemic, back in this window of time. And I did a longer Buddhist mantra retreat of <clears throat> one of the practices, which is really one of my main ones, Buddhist tantrics practice. And it's pretty saucy practice. <laughs> I like saucy things in my meditations. And I came out of this practice after doing all my mantras. So, you know, if you haven't done one of these things ever, and probably most people haven't, but, you know, you can, it's interesting to do them and you do hundreds of thousands of these mantras. So I did this thing and I felt this incredible surge of sort of like sexual feelings that came up at that time like really strong. And my advisor for this is our beloved Lama Glenn Mullen, right? Glenn H. Mullen. And I talked with him about this. And he was like, yeah, okay, this can happen. And he also said something like, well, sometimes when people have these experiences post-retreat or something, it means that people are going to appear in your life that are important, right? Important people for relationship purposes or important people in terms of love or sexuality or whatever it is. And I suppose that really was kind of true. So that was my experience. But as time went on, I realized something kind of deep about myself, which really came out of these episodes in the past couple of weeks too, which I kind of knew, but it's kind of to clarify these things in words. So I realized like, well, the deepest desire of my shed, if I really look at it, wasn't having to do with like sexuality. I had to do with something else. What it really had to do with was uh, I realized that what my Shen really wanted and what really what it really wants is to find the people it loves and just to deeply, deeply love them. That's what it realized. Even more so than anything having to do with sex or anything like that, like that was what it really was desiring. And in a certain sense, it was you know kind of, I'm going to say it for my own spirit, but okay. But, you know, it was sort of desiring to like, kind of go through the world and find the people that it really feels deep connection with. And, uh, and again, to love and really kind of in a way, like whatever that ends up even meaning, whether that's always sexual or not, as we talked about before, it doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. right. Um, um, 
but that's kind of what it wants. Now, some of that's with friendships, like what we have, but some of it's with, you know, uh, I'm a cis heterosexual male. So some of this is with the women in my life that I know, but like, it doesn't always have to be a sexual thing. It can be just a very strong, emotional, intellectual connection. Like I realized that this is what I really want as much as anything. And I thought that was a kind of a good way to start. Mm. I think there's a, a theory of, we do you know, the five aggregates. We've done episodes on this before. And one of them has to do with like, maybe what you might say is the deeper undercurrents of someone's life. What do they just really run through them do? real quick? Just mention well, you can go form the physical form of a person, their kind of emotions and feelings, their patterns of thought. Three, four is the one I'm trying to get to, which is this sort of what they sometimes call compositional factors or something like that. But the idea that it's kind of when it's talked about in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, maybe the idea of like, what are the underlying deep impulses that a person has? Mm-hmm. Like if you really want to be a mother, that's a deep impulse. Like you know I, mean? we, we, I think we, we use some like archetypes in this, in this one. I mean, I suppose you could. Yeah, we could talk about it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know I felt it really strongly, not the retreat over this past break, but the one before I really felt like I understood this. And it's associated with, um, you know, each one is associated with a kind of a, a one of the elements so mm-hmm. form is with the earth element. Feeling is with the water element. Fire is the core of intellectual conceptual categories. And then what they call wind or prana or energy, that's this one, maybe the deeper drives. And, um, you know, when they talk about like the end of a person's life, you know, as the things fall away, this is the part of like, these were my deeper goals in this life. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that's an interesting way to frame that because I found like, okay, this is like probably the deeper goal as much as anything. I came out in a certain sense thinking, well, maybe this has to do with sexuality. And I did have those feelings. But in the end, when I really went deeper in myself and I kind of looked at it and, you know, with the experiences I had, like, no, that's not exactly what I want. What I want is this connection and bond, you know? And um, well, Eric, what's that? So that's the, that's the fire. Oh, so I did, I did, I did the one for wind. Yeah. The last one they have is just consciousness and space are kind of yeah, like space, tied together. Yeah. Space and consciousness. And so this, is that, pre, yeah. this is even pre-urge or pre-archetype. Yeah, I guess they'll go and they'll say, when they do the consciousness, again, I'm talking about a certain style of doing this, but when they do the consciousness thing, they say that this is all the fundamental templates of the mind. So this might be archetypal because we're going to talk about Jung. This might be where the archetypes lie. Okay. You know, but they have a list. We haven't done it. It probably is something we should do at some point, but they have the fundamental yin minds, the fundamental yang minds, and the fundamental sort of like before yin and yang even separate minds. Sometimes we may have. Because there's like, like the there's 80... Like... There's like three years right. of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. There's 80 of them. So I don't think we talked about them. You not, know what I mean? Not in deep, not yeah. in depth, but we have talked about it before. Yeah. The idea of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. It was like sort of like, so I, I wanted to pose this again, since we're talking about what an underlying spiritual vision might be for each of us, for ourselves. This yeah. was kind of a deep thing for me. And I clarified it even in the last few weeks, talking with people about these episodes. And so I was like, I think it's kind of an interesting spiritual question. Like, what is the deepest drives like this for, you know, anyone who's listening to this or for you and me, when you really go and try to figure out what this is. Now, we've talked about this before. I think you've said things like creativity. Mm. You've mentioned other things before. But for me, I sort of found like, okay. Yeah, this is something um, that really drives me. This is a throwback to an episode we did really early on. Mm-hmm. I think they were called like, what are your three Oh, we did that back in the day. Yeah, like way, way. I'll, I'll, as we're talking, I'm gonna look. I'll look for it. You know. Um, well, if yeah. you're looking at, yeah, if you're looking, I can tell the story of the monk in the house, which I don't know if we did. 
Yeah, so this we did, we we put this episode out on July fourth, uh, sorry, July fourteenth of twenty twenty, uh, called uh, "What Are Your Three Rescripting Your Life?" and talking about tantra being uh, inclusive of our beliefs and moving past dogmatic views. Uh, find your your trinity. What are the three aspects of your life that have the most meaning to you? Uh, and then how do we make how do we how would he, how do we move, live them? You know, in such a way that we feel as if these have they're, they're aspirational for us. I guess it's a question of how do you even discover them? Like I got a, I got an email from a listener about this too. Like how do you discover these things? It's a good question. She didn't talk about that exactly, but and so I guess I'm sharing like an experience of my discovering this because I really thought it was one thing. And then when I went deeper, I realized, oh no, it's another thing, which is fine. You know, you learn something about yourself. That's what I really want. And when I looked back, it like was relatively transparent for me. I had all these feelings that were sort of the, the sexual feelings that came out of the retreat, but it was really more rooted in something different. And I guess what I would think of as being something deeper. As far as these deep house, these deep uh, drives, there is like an anecdote about this, which I guess I can share, which I don't know if we ever did, Daniel. So there's this one about like this monk and um, his uh, teacher, right? And this monk is like meditating, meditating. He's not getting enlightened, not getting enlightened. Eventually his teacher's like, okay, we're, we're going to go on the pilgrimage. <laughs> so they're going on the pilgrimage. They're traveling. traveling. Like, well, we're going to go take a long walk. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> not off a short pier, but okay. So we take a long walk. So they're walking and they're going their pilgrimage through woods and hills and dales and eventually up a mountain. And the monk is, you know, following the teacher going like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, where is this going? And they finally get to uh, like in a mountain setting, like kind of like a nice kind of lake and a, like a clearing, maybe a field in the, a field up in the, you know, the mountains where that can sometimes be that way by the lake or something. There's a little something like that up there and there's a house there. And the teacher goes, uh, okay, here we are. And the monk is like, well, what, what's the point of this? And he says, here, there's a house for you. You've been dying for a house your whole life. There's your house. Now get enlightened already. And the monk goes, bang. And all of a sudden he has this experience then, right? Mm. And the kind of the point of the story is something like, okay, you can have these deeper longings and sometimes they're there inside you until you sort of realize what they are and come to terms with them. They can be almost like something that, you haven't come to terms with yet and they kind of maybe even hold you back or something like that but it's good to know these things mm -hmm. anyways, that was i guess the first question i wanted to pose to people who might be listening to this to kind of maybe think about that question if you had to really boil it down what are the things that you really want to do and i guess this is the thing that i know that i really want to do as much as anything in the world i want to make these connections and it does expand out to like the other people i love like you daniel or my son or you know uh, other members of my family and so on, right? Uh, that's what I want to do. So um, another big thing, I know, do you have anything you want to say about that? How do you think about that? Like when you think about, I don't know if you have to have an answer, but when you think about what you really, really want, what kind of comes to mind with that for you? Uh, so I, you know, I've definitely, I've thought about like, this. It's kind of like saying, what's the house in the hills or something like that, right? Yeah, no. And so I, I actually, I wrote this down in my notes, but I want to do an episode on that, like, tips or tools for finding your inspiration, you know, cause I think we're talking about it now and maybe, you know, the answer to that question is always life is always the answer to that. But like, I think there's probably something we could maybe come up for people with people to just start that conversation, but we'll, we'll mm -hmm. shelve that for now. I got that written down. Um, because ultimately I'd also, I'd like to even talk about it in general, but I, I think, I mean, outside of, of getting the most, 
joy out of helping people, you know, and changing their lives, changing their minds, really, you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of bodhisattvic motivation. I thought that kind of thing too, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that. the biggest, that's the biggest motivator, right? And there's a kind of a joy in that too, right? There's a huge joy in it, you know? And then and then on top of that, or or next to that, I think some of this is like getting clear and then asserting your will, you know, into life. And I will say, anytime I've tried to do that, it hasn't gone well. So I don't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't do it. So I, it's not that I'm willy nilly and I'm just like, whatever. Oh, I should pay some bills once in a while. Oh, I guess I'll eat. Maybe who knows? I'll lay here. Food will fall in my mouth. No, I'm not, I'm not that. You're not not a passive person. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm very active and I'm, and I'm, and I'm setting up events and I'm running retreats and I'm doing, okay. All these things. But in terms of like a larger life thing, I, I haven't gone that deep because I, no, I don't know. You know, I, I, I have there's an inner reluctance to go like, okay, this is what I really want because those things may not happen or something too, right? There yeah, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, that. fear of failure and fear of success are two sides of the same coin. Or maybe even like, if I'm honest with myself, and I look at this with the own my own things that I'm doing here, like sometimes shit just is like, eh, doesn't quite work out. But the yeah. point I wanted to make in the end was something like, uh, I just feel like, and we can talk about this as the episode goes forward, but yeah. I just feel like, okay, at least you've made your statement. Sure. You, know, you said, okay, this is what I actually believe, mm-hmm. which I suppose, you know, I wrote this thing over the weekend. We live in Chicago. So the local Chicago football team, the Chicago bears were getting their asses kicked every single way. <laughs> I started writing before they started and I kind of put it on the background just in, and it's like a little, and I kind of turned it off, <laughs> but it was one of these things where I was like, okay, I want to say, and this has been the big thing for me for these, like, let's say like three episodes, this being maybe the culmination. It's like, okay, at least I want to present the vision that I've, feel like I've come up for myself. And maybe that yeah. makes people feel like, okay, you know, I don't got this dude's vision. He has his own vision, but everybody I mean, has their it, own vision. It'd be a thing of like talking about, like just talking about what it means to try to create something like that. You yeah. know, share that experience. Okay. So another big factor to me goes back to like my teen years. This is like, we talked about this, I think in our original TMI episodes talking about flashbacks. Yeah. yeah. But somewhere around the age, so we had this episode called too much information where Daniel and I talked about ourselves. Yeah, that's right. We did. That was it. As opposed to what we do every other fucking time. That we're doing yeah, these yeah. Episodes. Other than that. <laughs> but in any case, um, uh, I was around, I think it really hit around 13 years old, which would be like eighth grade for me. And I had this realization. I just looked around at the adults around me. And I was like, oh my God, they're really unhappy. Mm. And it like struck me really deeply. And I think I had conversations with adults and they were just like, didn't know what to say. Because <laughs> mm. when you eventually say to them, well, I'm looking around and the adults are really unhappy and uh, this makes me extremely nervous <laughs> mm. for my own prospects. And they were like, I think, you know, people could see I was upset, but no one knew it was. And when I finally talked with some people about it, I remember talking with a school teacher about this. So I talk about in the TMI episode, but she was like, huh? Like she didn't expect it as the, as the thing that was bothering me. Mm. It was a little bit more existential and she probably didn't have an answer. If I would have said there were trouble at home and there was, or other things, I think she would have an answer. You know what I mean? But I gave an answer that was like a lot bigger because that was the thing that was really bothering me. It wasn't just that you know, the people I saw were unhappy. I could, you know, 
I could get beyond the, my own family, you know, and see other people, but it just was sort of a general impression. I was thinking about George Saunders, my, our, the writer who grew up on the same street as me, and I probably feel like I probably owe him an email or something like that. I like to talk with him, but he described it as like lives of either quiet desperation or manic happy drinking mm. in one of the letters he wrote me. And it just seemed like, okay, these adults aren't happy. So this is a serious problem, you know? And it struck me as like the, 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 the bigness of it hit me, you know, something happened. I was like, oh, this is a serious problem because I can't go through life like being an unhappy person. No, I can't. There has to be some other vision different. So, so that was the feeling of it. Um, I have in the notes here a little bit about my son. My son did something really funny in the past week and he might be a little upset that I'm going to share this when we do it anyways, because <laughs> he didn't want to do math. He hates math. <laughs> like he really hates it. And it put him into this despair. <laughs> so mm. we're out in the cafe and he was just um, so upset that he had to do this math. And he started asking these really deep questions like, well, wait a minute. Why do people have to do things they don't like in life? What's the point of that? You know, and how often do adults spend time and do people in life spend doing things that they don't like all the time? So they're going to be unhappy. And that's wrong. And he was really upset about it. You know what I mean? And he was really existentially kind of profound. It would be like we were at the cafe, but it would have been like we were like in Paris and he had like a beret and like smoking like French cigarettes, like some kind of like Albert Camus, you know, drinking his absinthe or something. He was like really like, and it was funny because <laughs> it was so true. And he was really fucking clever because he turned the shit around and he said, like, we're well, always talking about like, you can't do what society says, but like, look at this. <laughs> you know, they're making me do math because society says I have to do math. What about that? <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to say back. <laughs> but I had to say like, yeah, you're going to spend the time doing things you don't want to do. You know, everyone has to do that. But he was asking the question, you know, and it mm -hmm. was inspired by his hatred of math, <laughs> which we worked on over the weekend. He was fine with it. But anyways, it was sort of a profound period in uh, my young life. And the problem was he's not wrong and I wasn't wrong, unfortunately, because I don't know. We have listeners who listen in other places besides America, but America is like an unhappy place. Like it legitimately is. I was talking to someone who was reading this book about happiness in different cultures around the world. Mm. And um, I still have the intention of doing like little book reviews. So if I do read it, I'll do the little book review for our GNT audience. I got other ones to do first, but. And uh, there's some statistic about Americans' rankings of happiness. And America apparently often comes in like number 50 in the world. Hmm. But there's like a 7 million countries, so 50 is pretty good. Eh, it's not so good. Okay. <laughs> I know like the top it ever comes in is 20, you know, like, so the, it does pretty bad. <laughs> and the number of countries that are doing better is really uh, shocking. So I was like, okay. And, you know, I don't want to dwell on this as much because we're presenting a positive vision, but there's also part of it. It's like there's lots of antidepressant use. I got the statistics recently from Justin Keith, our uh, lawyer friend and my personal friend and, you know, a friend of the show. And the United States is number one in the use of antidepressants now. Mm. And we have a substance abuse problem and we have self-harm and we have, you know, even suicide. So it's, it was, it's serious, you know. And I don't know, somehow this clicked in my 13-year-old mind. So, okay, that's the harsh part of it. You know, like you're saying, sometimes you have to acknowledge the things that are the harsh parts. But what I can say is, and I got interested in your experience of this too, Daniel, obviously. But for me, it created this desire to discover or invent a way of life. I felt like I needed to do that. 
and it rolled through like kind of the entirety of my, I guess what I would say my personality. Cause even when I thought about being a parent, I had this deep thought of like, well, if I can't discover a way to live a happy adult life, what business do I have trying to be a parent? Cause I'll have nothing to pass on. Right. You know, and the kids might not agree with me. They can do whatever they want, but at least you have to be able to present a vision sure. of what it's like. If you're just in some desperate survivalism mode, like what kind of parenting is that? Like that just seemed all wrong to me. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say there too? Yeah. You're not offering something. So I saw it as like a really kind of deep problem. This was my own experience of this. I don't know. How is it for you? What do you think? I mean, if we're talking about, you know, existent, you know, early age existential ideas or existential anxieties, if you will, uh-huh. I could say that my very first lucid dream probably came when I was like maybe 18, 19, mm-hmm. something like this. And um, I was, I dreamt that I was in, in the house that I kind of was raised in my grandmother's house, which is on like the, I don't know, in Chicago somewhere. I don't remember the main streets off the top of my head. Anyways, I'm walking through the house and um, this being began following me through the house and I'm trying to run, you know, in the dream, it's hard to run, but he's phasing through the walls and was, you know, basically reached through the front door to grab me as I'm trying to run towards the street and mm-hmm pulled me through the door back into the house. Mm-hmm. And as he stared at me, um, the, the, the flesh on his face was sort of phasing in and phasing out. And he was wearing, I will never forget it. He was wearing a yellow raincoat with a yellow hat and the yellow boots, like Curious George. Or like uh, that kid who gets his arm chopped off in, uh, in it or something. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but his face was like again a skeleton with just skin that was kind of there and then would fade away and scare there and then fade away and it was sort of scary except his eyes were like the Milky Way mm. in each of his eyes and I just stared at them you know it was and like, like death or something <laughs> yeah I mean it was like kind of throughout freaky. the whole cosmos or something right mm-hmm. you know and I and I said um, immediately I recognized like a deep sense of divinity because there was so much I couldn't move. I was frozen because of the power that this being had. And I said, um, I just love life so much. I don't, what, how, how do I, I have so many questions. I have, I don't know what to say. I just, there's so many things. I don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, keep asking questions. All will be answered in due time. And this was the first time that a, I had that profound of a dream, but that, the dream made me aware of my awareness of the finite nature of our time here. Mm-hmm. And then prior going into the military again, because I had just served a couple of years before I, before I, sorry, before I got deployed to Iraq, I came, was home and, and I just had been aware that like, okay, I'm finished with high school. couple of years, last couple of years of my life are like in memory. Now, you know, all these experiences, training and all these different friendships and, difficult moments and high moments and whatever, you know, um, are, are gone. And the, the prospect of going to medical school and residency and fellowships and whatever else was like, man, I want to be so damn old by the time I'm done. Like I'll be tired. I want to be able to live. Like what the hell is the point of all that shit, you know? So that was when I think I just, I, I need, I want, I don't know, some, I, the beginnings of my, awareness of that 
started long before I did any meditation, any Buddhist, anything, you know, mm-hmm. and those seeds are, those were seeds for sure. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like even for me at like 13, like whatever I was thinking, it was about dukkha, mm-hmm. right? Like the problem of like suffering in life and how we yeah. do about it and so on. But I think that's true. I think these seeds are there, you know, you can trace them back to yeah. before you ever heard anything about any of this yeah. stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And those seeds then be, they grow and they influence, yeah. you know, maybe not always on a conscious level, you know, because I think we before we, you know, at least for me, before your mind stabilizes, when you have a, a meditative practice, a daily meditative practice, um, things will come up and then go away. Cycles will happen. Cycles yeah, you, will come you kind of forget the things that you knew. You're like, I know this thing. And then it yeah. disappears. On it just more. disappears. But when you, can't, you can, like there's a mental training to hold on to that somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's it is when you have that training or you're working, you're working at it. We're always working at it. It's there, mm-hmm. whatever you bring this, you're bringing it with, you're bringing your things with you, you know, mm-hmm. every day, refining, 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 refining. And that, and then those things start to, the flowers become, you know, a little bit more crystalline, a little bit more clear, a little bit more open as you, as you, uh, you know, as your practice develops. Right. The thing that strikes me about it, which is the next thing I had down here is I guess we'll transition as you're going to it, but it's really the continuation of the same thing is when you had this being and you were looking into the eyes and the whole cosmos was sort of there staring Mm -hmm. back at you and you had all these questions, you know, what hit me over the weekend as I was writing this was that I didn't, I had this sense that there was a meaning of things though. Like I didn't think that things were pointless somehow. Mm -hmm. I I think if I would have thought it was pointless, my response even at 13 would have been different. I felt like, no, I was really sure there was a point. Yeah. And the meaning now, you know, why you feel that way is kind of hard to say, but I did feel that way. I was very sure there was a purpose in life mm-hmm. and that somehow it was discoverable. Like I just felt that that was true, you know? So I just wanted to say that to listeners too, and you have as well, but that's something worthwhile just thinking about what you think about this question. And yeah. I know for me, I really felt it like, no, then it means that, that you can go on those questions and what you're talking about, because I thought there was possible answers, right? I- yeah. I'm remembering now when I was in undergrad, I had an idea for a book. And the idea for the book is this. I would wa- I wanted to interview like major people from different industries, religious leaders and whatever, just people who of, of, of note and ask them the same question. What is the purpose of life? Mm. But actually that question is never answered because everyone's purpose for their own life is a little bit different. And now yeah, yeah, yeah. as we're sitting here and talking about that, I've resolved that issue for the previous book because now I'm I'm <laughs> like, it just, I haven't thought about it, but like, you know, if you ask that question to enough people, you might get a nihilistic view at some point, you know? I mean, it's a big question because we'll talk about worldviews as we go forward, yeah. like, at least what's happening in American culture. It's interesting. But if you, but like to, to your point about, you know, these, these sort of existential thoughts, the existential seeds, uh, you know, we'll say uh, pre-adulthood existential mm-hmm. seeds of awareness, right? That is like, uh, I don't know. I, the, the, it's, I'm losing it a little it's bit. It's weird for me because like in my whole life, I never lost this sense. I still think there's purpose and meaning and that it's discoverable. Yeah. And I feel like I made discoveries along the way. We're like, okay, I feel like I discovered part of this, you know, whatever percentage of it, you know, who knows, but like, I really feel like that's true. And it melted the idea. Like I also felt there was meaning in things, meaning that like the different parts of life had their purposes. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about things like love and relationship and mm-hmm. sexuality and so mm-hmm. on. So I felt like, no, there really is a purpose in this. This is mm-hmm. supposed to 
not just be like, you know, some rando part of your life, but this is part of a bigger sense of like what things mean and how they work. So I really had this feeling. Yeah. It's a very particular feeling. It's like, no, yeah. you know, things have a meaning and the meanings are discoverable. And even the little different like subplots of life or the little sub purposes of life, they're part of a bigger meaning too. They fit into a bigger sort of uh, collage of meaning of what you want to say, or they're part of like, uh, like, you know, they're here for reasons. Right, right. <laughs> they're right, here right, to right, do yeah, something, yeah. you know, which yeah. again is like, I'll throw it out to listeners. You can see what you think for yourself, but I definitely had this sense and I still do, you know, deep inside, even when things turn out shitty and, <laughs> and kind of semi-lame, I still feel this way, you know? Um, now, I don't know, Daniel, for you, but for me, I felt like in part it came from what I would almost say would be like the ground of being. Mm. I felt there was some, ground or source of of things you know in part i felt this way and so this sense of meaning was like came from like i know god or Tao or the the source or the ground of being or whatever it was that and i also decided that something like this ultimately kind of existed whether you personify it as god or whether you think of it as unpersonified as like a Tao or just a source or a ground of being if you're being more buddhist but i felt like no it was it exists it's blissful and benevolent and so the different features that are there in life, I guess, emanating out of this source, if that makes any sense, was going to have meaning too. Like I felt there was a, a way in which things wouldn't be meaningless because it's coming out of this source and it, these things are there for a reason. Does it make sense what I'm trying to describe there too? Yeah. Yeah. So I felt this way. I was just like, yeah, this seems very clear to me. Now, I don't expect other people to feel the same way, but you know, since we're just sharing right, to hopefully get wheels turning for other folks too. I definitely felt this, you know, mm -hmm. and probably still do, right? So I felt like there were purposes from that. And I also felt like it probably came from like enlightenment too. The idea that like all the different parts of life were all building towards an enlightenment. Uh, you know, Lama Glenn, or Glenn H. Mullen, uh, beloved Lama Glenn says something like, you know, a Buddhist should understand all parts of life and how they all lead and contribute to enlightenment. Whether that's like, sexuality or work or love or parenting or whatever it is those are all features mm -hmm. that are part of what's building to enlightenment if you can kind of tap into the the power and the seeds within them that will give you the chance to do this so you know i was thinking about this so i know i had this thing you know, we talked about in previous episodes i wanted to go to japan i thought i would go to japan to teach english and then i would like find some zen people and study zen i had that idea going on in my head but even when it didn't work out, it was okay because I thought, well, I would have could I, maybe I would have gone and become a Zen monk or something like that. But I realized, no, I want to figure out what it means to live in this world, going through the experiences of this world, having relationships, having love, sexuality, all these things that you probably wouldn't have as much as if you were a monk or something like that. I was like, no, this is fine because I want to know what these things are because I believe that it was like a purpose in them and they had meaning and you know they meant something. You know, and they all fit somehow into the story of how people can become enlightenment, mm -hmm. become enlightened. I thought they like had a purpose and a meaning. And so that extended everything. I mean, even as something like parenthood, which I happen to resist like a real motherfucker, I had no interest in that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, it had a meaning, you know, and the minute my daughter popped out and then my son, I was like, no, this is this is obviously all part of a story of uh learning how to like uh become enlightened all these things have meaning i just felt that way mm. and how is that for you i mean obviously you feel something similar i guess right i mean this is 
to me, we're we've been talking, we've been saying this for a hot minute, right? Like mm-hmm. eventually you have to take your life as the guru. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, and so all of all of the, you know, not to be reductionistic, but that's what's in my head. Like you're saying all these things. I'm like, yep, that's right. That's yeah, that's eventually you have to do that. And everybody's teach, you know, I think people have a kinship with a teacher because they feel like that teacher in particular gets them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They have like, a vision of things that resonate with you. With you. Like so it doesn't in that sense ma- matter even like how great the teacher is. It could be the baddest teacher in the world. But if it doesn't resonate with you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You want to yeah. know that your teacher gets it, you know, or you feel like they have mm-hmm. a they got a, they got a grip on reality. They have things to share. Yeah. 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 And they have a vision and a and a go, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And they have a practice or you believe in what they're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. Whatever this quote unquote teacher, spiritual teacher or you know, I'm gonna, I use my own personal experience, as you can see here, piano teacher, you know, that they're good at what they're doing, right? <laughs> uh, but that they, but they get you, you know, and they see your strengths, they see your weaknesses, and they can, you know, they could take you on a pilgrimage and say, here's the damn house, <laughs> you good uh-huh. now, right? And and in this way, your, our lives are the best at that, because even though we live parallel to each other, we're, you know, you're an acupuncturist. I'm an acupuncturist. You teach. I do some teaching. You have some patients. I have some patients. You have some partners. I have some partners. We, okay, fine. Right. We got all these different things. And yet our experiences are so vastly different. I mean, just, you know, people who are listening to this, if you sleep next to somebody or, you know, you have a partner or you have a kid or something at the house, you could be right next to somebody, literally even touching them. Your dreams would be totally different almost yeah, every yeah, yeah. night, completely mm-hmm different one person's having a nightmare the other person's like well i'm having a good time this is amazing you know what i'm saying like it's just so vastly different but it's so unique to our own experience and and you know really allowing yourself to and this is easy to be said when things are going well but taking your life as like the thing that's teaching you over and over and over again every day every day and all the experiences that come up and then when you can take that and go yes even if there's resistance, right? I don't want kids. I don't want, oh shit, I'm having one now. Okay. You know? And then well, when have- I wanted to have them, I, I, I like, uh, I went, okay, I'm going to do this. And I went in with like, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And then it came and you're like, oh, what? Yeah. I don't even know what this would be like without that now. But the thing that's so funny to me is I really look at it is that there was an underlying faith. There was a real sense of mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. there's some purpose in this shit. This is not just some rando nothing random series of events without i didn't feel that way at all i felt like no there's real meaning and all these things have a secret meaning to them that's somehow discoverable or creatable or something i really felt like that was the case which is and then like in terms of teachers i wanted people who presented a vision that i could resonate with this is partly why i'm hesitant to assert my own will in the in in a grander life larger thing because i'm like well you know (laughs) then you get what you right be careful what you wish for you just might get it. And then this sort of, it sort of removes that the mystery of what it is. And there are just certain points, at least for myself, when I know that I am not to press, you know, I am not to be pushing on things. I'm just supposed to chill out and wait and wait. And, oh, there was the answer. I just needed to wait, you know? 
I like this feeling of like again we this is we're, we don't disagree, but I like this feeling of creating and discovering too. Like say, okay, what is the underlying meaning of sure. this? Yeah, of the, course, oh, part of the same experience. Mm -hmm. So for, you know, for me, these episodes have been kind of an attempt ultimately to present sort of a personal vision of mm -hmm. a kind of life, which yeah. you know is what I feel like I've been trying to create. Acknowledging that this may be very different for other people. And then what we've been talking about, in a certain sense, you were all creating our own like stages of the path. There's this Lamrim thing. Yeah. But I've often thought, you know, I studied the Lamrim with these Tibetan Buddhist teachers and I've internalized it and I can run through it in my mind every day. But I started like editing it <laughs> to put in my own stuff, <laughs> you know, and part of it was things like, okay, what do I think love means? How does that fit into my Lamrim? And what, and Eric, to my spiritual story. Just mm -hmm. for, for, context purposes lamrim for people yeah we talked about kind of like they call it stages of the path into yeah. that it's sort of like a listing of sort of the steps realizations that you go through you know mm -hmm. a series of meditation and contemplations and things but they're kind of built like a structure a mm -hmm. kind of a they call it a gradual path and you work on different things but it has all sort of the, i guess you'd say all the ideas of tantric buddhism are in this thing so when you learn it at least on that level according to like tantric school of dalai lamas for sure right mm -hmm. lama glenn who study in that school you internalize this and it becomes part of you right yeah so you get taught it and you memorize all these ideas and you contemplate them and you meditate on them and so on and they built up kind of like a process of how a person progresses but the weird thing i realized was like yeah i need to put other things in this lama room to make it personal and part of it was like well what do i think relationship means what do i think love means so i started like editing the <laughs> started editing the lama room not just listening to what Gallic Rinpoche said or Lama Glenn or the Dalai Lama or whoever. I was like, okay, I'm putting subclause <laughs> this into this Lamrim. And it, this is Eric's Lamrim, which I think like, we're all going to do something like this. It's good to learn things in this structured way so you know, but it was also like, I want to do sort of my own version of this. And it especially obviously included for me because part of it I realized deep in myself was I wanted to love and I wanted to understand what a relationship was and all that. Um, that uh, that had to be part of this, right? Mm -hmm. But I think we we'll all do our own thing with this. So mm. it's an interesting thing to think about. So hopefully this makes sense to people. It means something, right? Because that's part of like, how do you create this vision? Okay, so my first point was, and yeah, I'm interesting for you, I think we agree on this, but I realized like enlightenment was sort of the goal of life. I decided like, that's a thing, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about that a few episodes. And I thought, well, this is what I'm going to do with this. Now I wanted to bring back Carl Jung in this a little bit because you know he was sort of a starting point for this episode and i kind of went over the weekend i was like what did he feel about these things too so maybe we'll have a little conversation with Jung as well and he was like yeah he seems to have come to the exact same conclusions he definitely thought okay there's this thing enlightenment and he was trying to discover what that is too um and he seemed to realize that i look back through you know the biographies of him and he talks about this being in india at one of the great stupas which are these sort of like buddhist um Statue. Statuettes, right? Temple things that like are supposed to ha ha like house the relics of a, a Buddhist enlightened person or the Buddha, you know, personally mm -hmm. or something. So mm -hmm. this one in this place called Sanchi, I guess in India, it's associated with the Buddhist king Ashoka going all the way back to the third century BC. So Jung is there and he has this realization about Buddhism and he obviously gets something about enlightenment anyways. You know, doing the research around Jung for these episodes and other things around this, he says in his memoirs, he starts, my life is a story 
of the self-realization of the unconscious. That's his first line, right? So he wants to understand like his own inner world or something, right? The realization of all these things. And of course he invents or discovers this massive internal world, right? A massive internal world that's as big as the external world, an internal universe that's just as expansive as the external universe, right? Like looking into the eyes of the figure you're seeing and you see the whole cosmos there, right? Um, and he also talks about the mystery of like what he calls individuation. Can you like discover yourself, the entirety of yourself as an individual and pull everything together and become individuated, you know? Um, so this is obviously his idea of enlightenment. And uh, again, just to share a little bit of his words and then we can kick him around. He obviously got that this was Buddhist. Like he understood like, okay, I'm having realizations of what Buddhism means. And he describes this experience of Buddhism kind of hitting him for the first time in a way that was kind of beyond words and left him kind of in this state of like a little bit of bewilderment is exactly how to capture this. And he got this at the sacred site. So I thought a good episode for the future, Daniel, might be like sacred sites. Mm. Maybe we should talk about that, right? Yeah. The experience of being in those places. But anyways, he was there at one of these sacred sites. And he says this fascinating thing. I'm curious your reaction. He said, you know, the, for him, he said, the life of Buddha stood for namely the realization of the self, kind of capital S. Mm -hmm. That the self stands above all gods and really represents the mystery of the world and human existence. He saw this as a little bit different, and he's a very Western person. He's very interested in Christianity and Gnostic Christianity, alternative Christianities. But he said it was a little bit different than his feeling of Jesus as a spiritual figure, because he felt Jesus represented the self as well, and he had deep respect for that way of representing the self. But he thought, and this is, I'm just quoting him, he said, the Buddha overcomes the world, but out of insight. Christ does not overcome the world out of insight in the standard interpretations, but as an event, for he is the victim of a certain kind of sacrificial act that brings rectification. So he says it was a different experience, at least for him, you know, being someone who grew up in a Christian household, thinking about what Jesus meant, and then all of a sudden being in this situation of really thinking, okay, he's gone through a lot in his life by the time he's doing this, but thinking, okay, I'm thinking about, he's thinking about Buddhism in a different way. Now, of course, in the Gnostic Jesus has all kinds of insights and transcends the world through insight. But yeah, I think he was talking about in the more standard cultural understanding of this. So he was talking about Western culture in this way. And he also talks about the fact that Christ was not completely a human being. He's obviously a divine figure, right? In the mystery of that. So in a certain sense, he's not as ascertainable to people because he isn't really... Jung says this interesting thing. He says he's not even really ascertainable to himself because he's partially divine, you know? Mm -hmm. So he isn't really ascertainable even to his own inner world, isn't ascertainable to the human part of him on some level. Um, so his story is more of a story of divinity and fate. With the Buddha, he says, everything happened out of insight. And so for him, Buddha represented, I'm kind of quoting him then, the enlightened mind, the chance if I am a Buddhist to reach the same fulfillment, that same kind of perfection. So he thought it kind of resonated differently. He also said he still saw himself as a Westerner. And he said for him, the myth of the Holy Grail, the search for the Grail is the symbol of enlightenment for Western people. Mm. But he also knew that in the way he was kind of reaching beyond what might be the standard confines of the Christian world in his life, he was obviously having thoughts and ideas that were just different, you know, and we're going to be transcendent of that. So I 
think that was all pretty interesting to me. I wanted to kind of throw those quotes out. Do uh, you have any reactions you want to share to any of that? Yeah, I mean, tons, really. You yeah. Know. So you mentioned what Jesus meant and what Buddha meant in in and I'm not nitpicking what you're saying. I'm just you know it's kind of his it's his take. It's not even yeah. anything to say one way or the other. It's yeah. just his words. But what, you know? Someone's story versus what they mean are two different things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so where where somebody where this culture derives meaning from Christ's story is in his death. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus what this culture found meaning in Buddha's story was in his life. Mm -hmm. So it's a totally different view. It's a completely different view. I mean, However, there's Gnostic Jesuses who like their main thing is insight. You could tell right. that story differently. Yeah, because right. talk so about he's really the, talking about a cultural story here, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. and the way that we view things, the mm -hmm. way that the culture views things. Yeah, yeah. Simultaneously, the bulk of Jesus's life is undocumented. But I mean, to be honest, I don't want to be weird about it. If there ever was a Jesus at all, people if, think that sure, sure, there was a person like this, or whether right. he was just a spiritual mythic figure from the very beginning. It's very not trying to trash on these views, but this is out there. As yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. No, I spent a sure. lot of time. I spend a lot of time listening to people who are scholars of this thing because it's kind of a fascinating question. And the same, anyways, and the same goes for Buddha, also. May not have existed, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Or, or may have been, or may have been a number of different people. Composite people, composite person. Mm -hmm. So I think, way, I think the idea of the Buddha thing is there really isn't an idea that he's a divine figure. There is a difference there. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. And so this is so this kind of thing then just changes the way that you look at the story. Right. And shows, at least in my mind, shows the difference in how the cultures work, you know, and how they how they view who it is they're driving, they're deriving inspiration from. And why that matters, at least in my mind, is that when you're when you derive meaning off of someone's death. Versus mm -hmm. someone's life. It puts the onus on that particular part. So the onus, yeah, 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 yeah. On, onus is on the dying. Versus mm -hmm. onus is on the transformation, being alive and transformed. But newsflash, if you believe that someone can transcend death, they have also transcended life. <laughs> you do know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. therefore, they are walking around as, a, as the world's greatest magician. They just haven't done their trick yet. You know, yeah, it's just yeah, a yeah, matter yeah. of time before they pull the donkey from their, uh, you know, from their their jacket coat or something like that you know what i'm saying uh -huh, uh -huh. right and so uh, usually it's a rabbit but okay yeah i mean i'm talking a real good uh, magician yeah like a whole a whole elephant comes out of here a whole donkey like the whole ass uh -huh. everything comes out uh -huh. and so that to me is just a it, it's just a different way you know again different views put different emphasis on different things and then therefore the idea of being divine versus man of being a person who could become enlightened one is a totally, the, the conversations are completely different, right? They're not, yeah, it's a different kind of story serving a different kind of point. It's a, exactly. And one, and this is the, the, the issue is that one is driven, is one is driving you inwards. <laughs> the other is not. And, that, and I guess that's for, it's important for me to get to like Gnostic Jesus. I wanted there to be Gnostic Jesus. I wanted yeah. it to be like Zen Jesus. 
Yep. And we haven't so, done it, but that, that exists. Like we could do the Gnostic gospel and talk about it. I, I wanted that to be the case. Yeah. And so I guess in this case, back to, you know, tying this in to, you know, as we're, you know, getting towards wrapping up here, just time-wise, um, you asked earlier about like, what were some views that I had about life? You know, this mm-hmm. was my first view, actually, now that we're talking about it and I've had a chance to kind of think this, this view I've had since I was six that Jesus as a half divine being who was a man form was never uh never something I believed in and I've told the story in the podcast before I'm driving my family was very religious uh we're driving to church one day I'm about six maybe seven maybe five so let's say six and um my aunt you know we're, we're sitting in a car that had like bench seats you have a bench in the front and a bench in the rear so you can get a lot more people in there and I'm sitting in the middle of the bench in the rear. And, you know, my aunt said something along the lines of like, and Daniel, you know that Jesus is God, right? And I said, no. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. My uncle pulled the car over <laughs> on the road. It was like, they both turned around and looked at me. And my cousins and my brother, they all stared at me. And the little baby in the mid- in the bench seat in the middle turned around and looked at me. I'm like. There was like a record player. They went and they're like in the ironically in the car we didn't realize it was there and they were like what and i'm like Uh, where'd you hear that i was like i didn't hear that anywhere that's just what i think you know and so that vision i think of of that particular story which is part of my family story and you know many family stories was the first kind of maybe seed prior to the other one that allowed me to know that like things can be thought of in different ways when they resonate from you very deeply. You know, well, I think that's what I like about the Jung thing. Cause he's obviously talking about from a very sincere place here. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking about, okay, this is how it seemed to him. And he says something really interesting at the end, which I maybe will be the last thing we talk about for a couple of minutes and then we'll finish this next time. And we'll yeah. have our final denouement because there's things to wrap up and we'll be done with this. But yeah. he said that he was sort of afraid on some level in this experience because he talks about he says it interestingly he says he talks about wanting to save himself from ethics by taking refuge in morals where what he's getting to is this idea of like okay i'm just going to follow the ideas of the culture i'm just going to do this those are the morals you know and in that way i'm really kind of saving myself from the truer ethics by hiding myself behind the more limiting thing of cultural morals. And he obviously was asking some question about this, you know? Mm. And, you know, he's making a distinction between these two words in this very special way, because this means something, you know, beyond the morals of one's own society and culture, which, you know, could be ethical, but also a lot of times are just like the guidelines for sociocultural life. They're more tied in just to the roles. They're not necessarily really ethical things, you know what I mean? Mm. They're more just like sort of like how we do it here. You know, they're there they're there to kind of guide the sociocultural roles per your anthropological thought process. Mm. A lot of times as much as they are to be things of like deeper ethics that are coming from maybe a more profound place. And he's using the word ethics kind of in a big sense because he's saying, well, the ethic might be like to get enlightened or something to really go and do this other thing. And he's obviously scared on some level because he can feel that he's going to have to come up, which is probably a good way to end this episode. He's going to have to come up with a different way of thinking what he thinks life means. Mm-hmm. right different than the way he was raised which obviously is one of our main things but you could see him saying this back in his own way right this way of saying okay you know um i don't want to 
it's because it, I think in a way he's saying it's safer somehow. It would have been safer for you in the car to say, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, whatever you said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the car wouldn't screech to a halt. <laughs> and everyone wouldn't stare at you, right? It would have been a safer thing just to give the right answer, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe on some level, you I don't know whether you knew it was the wrong answer or not. <laughs> maybe part of you did, you know, or maybe you weren't even aware of that yet, that you would get that response. I don't know. You're really young, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, he's he's a grown man in this case, you know, and he's saying, yeah, I, yeah there's, a, there's a fright to this. You know, he's afraid of what that means if he really takes on that responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. to invent his own way of looking at the world. Yeah. You know, and um, I think it's something we can all kind of empathize with. I mean, we're going to continue on with this. We'll wrap all of this up next week. We got a few more pages of this, which are worthwhile doing because it will get to the idea of like, okay, what is a different model of looking at this? And I'll kind of try to share my own with it. But, you know, there's a certain fear in that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my, you know, and so maybe we'll do this at some point, you know, but like an episode on finding your inspiration, you know? But mm-hmm. I think, you know, after just hearing hearing that and hearing his honesty. Yeah, I appreciate he, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he but he is tapping into how he's feeling. Mm-hmm. And when you were younger and you talked to your teacher and seeing the unhappiness in adults, you were talking about how you're feeling now. Yeah. Right. When it was I a, it was, a, it's a weird, cause it's a mix of like thoughts, feelings, underlying senses of like, okay, I want to go someplace different. Sure. You know, it's all those, those, those aggregates they're pushing in some other way. Right. right? Anyways. Uh-huh. Right. But, that, yeah. that, I mean, that, but that's there's definitely right. emotion and there's feeling behind it. Right. Yeah. I, and feeling doesn't necessarily sincerity, have to be, authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feeling doesn't necessarily have to be emotional. It could be tactile. Mm-hmm. You know, like inside it feels a certain way, you know, like I mean, an idea can feel a certain way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like you're meaning in that sense. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get yeah that. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. like when I'm, you know, I'm six years old and I say, I don't believe that this person was God. Mm-hmm. It's not because I heard that. It's because I felt that. I felt it inside, you know, however. It had a kind of an intuitive truth to you on some level. Yeah. No, and I mean, mm-hmm. it had not, not a, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a, tr- it was the, probably one of the first real thoughts i had that were not taught to me you know yeah yeah it's kind of like jung talks about these things in his memoirs when people are really young and they have these kinds of thoughts mm-hmm. he has a whole weird one we talked about where he sees the vision of the church that like you know is in the, his town in basil and he's a kid and he's walking past and you know he has this fear of like seeing the giant turd fall from the sky yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and land on the church we talked about his vision with this but you know yeah. this is maybe like an authentic thought he was questioning yeah in a way that so, had kind of a trickster quality a little bit a little bit of absurdity to it but in, in uh, you this, know it's scary mm-hmm. in this way like finding your own you know touching tap tap tapping into your soul's desire if you will your shen's desire for this lifetime i think i think it has to you have to feel it well, I mean, we could be honest as we're ending this episode. Like I did these episodes that have been very revealing lately. And I went out of my way to be like particularly revealing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things is I thought, okay, let me be revealing. Let me do this. And there's like, let me say what I really think in part. Let me reveal things that are very personal. But it was like, uh, uh, it's a little scary, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a part of it that has to go. And I mean, you do the same thing here too. I'm not just saying just for me, we, we do it. But these were the ones that were particularly deep for me that we just did. And I was like, yeah, it's a little scary. To have to say, okay, I think something different. And but let me tell you what it is. That was my moment with my psychologist from the last episode. Okay, I think something different. Right. Let's say it. But that's, that's what you natural. did in the car, right? Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. natural for you. That feeling is who you are. 
I think that's right. When and it- so like, you know, again, we talked about this in the beginning, like finding your inspiration, finding the a soul level connection, you know, tapping into the, the, the Shen's kind of purpose here. And we talked about that earlier. And I think like in part amongst many other ways, it has to be who you are, you know, and I, and I think it's just allowing yourself to put voice to it, you know, and in this way, we're putting voice to it by recording it live and not in person <laughs> you know, uh, but, and non-edited. So whatever yeah. shit comes out, that's, that's what right. actually this is, right. said. This is, and there's this is real. a goddamn thing you can do about it. Right, right. That's what it is. But because neither ones have the skills to edit shit. <laughs> or the time you know but the like i'm really not even it, but it's authentically who you are yeah 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 you know and i'm and i'm you know as we talk about you know things that are important to us authenticity you know being one of them it, it's not just about keeping it real right or whatever it's about allowing whatever matrix of beings that are you mm-hmm. to express to be expressed in a way that feels like you don't have to double back and and correct or you can speak without shame, you know, and you could speak without hesitation because even if you're saying what you're saying doesn't fit, it feels right as it's coming, as it's, as you're being receiving it and it's coming out. That moment's really interesting for him, right? If we talk about Jung, cause he's in this moment where he's going, okay, I'm transcending the, my, the, my original part of my world. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be this completely Buddhist person, but I'm doing something here. I'm transcending my place where I came from. And it's like partially probably like, wow, he talks about being almost a little bit, wow, might not be a strong enough word. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, Ooh, wow. No, he talks about feeling this kind of like, like um, bewilderment or something, you know, he's in kind of like a new, a new set of visions for him or something. And then he's also like a little afraid, right? That part of it too. So anyways, you know, I think those are good things to talk about. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, good. So this is probably our breaking spot here. That seems like a good place to clip, right? Yeah. And then we'll yeah. do maybe, my thought would be, you know, uh, we'll continue on with a little bit of some of the vision of this and that'll be yeah. our denouement complete. All right. Denouement the denouement. <laughs> yeah, uh, sounds great. Thanks so much, Daniel. Good conversation. There was, a, there was a crackle. There was a crackle to it. I felt there was a kind of, we can have energy in our conversations, but I felt there was a lot of energy in this one. Uh, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Eric. And thank our listeners. You know, thanks yep, for, thanks, uh, so much. thanks for tuning, tuning in and, and listening, you know, and, and uh, being involved and, you know, feel free, hit us up, gin uh, and at gmail.com. You can leave a comment in a YouTube uh, video because these are all up and available for your visual viewing pleasure. Mm. Also, feel free hit us up at uh, at Gin and Tantra on Instagram. We we do that thing too, you know. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, follow, whatever. I don't know. Do the things that the social media people tell you to do. We appreciate uh, all the you know all the eyeballs and all the earballs and all the eyes and I don't know all the things. So. You know, feel free to share and everything else. You guys know what it is. We appreciate you. You know, that's that's basically mm-hmm. it. Even though I can't see anybody, I just see Eric and myself talking on the screen. I know mm-hmm. that people listen. And uh, as, as much as you guys appreciate what we do, you know, we appreciate you guys. And uh, we do love the feedback. So, you know, keep it coming, please. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you all on the next one. Peace. I want you to get together. Yeah, but you can't get
Yeah.